Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 185, recorded for the week of October 7th, 2022. The Cloud Pod is flush with cash. Hi, Ryan and Peter. Hello. Justin, you sound different. <laughs> yes, that's what happens when you go to Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, Justin is... is uh, do I say unfortunately? Yeah, he's out this week. <laughs> so we're, we're uh, taking the reins and running without him, just to prove him wrong. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Feels very much an underdog action, right? Recording. Does yeah. it a little bit. Like, yeah. He did, yeah, did, I did believe that. Yeah, I'm sure he kind of told us we weren't going to do it just so that we'd do it. Yeah. Damn parenting skills. I know, he got us. Yep. Yes, he's got yeah, parenting <laughs> skills, exactly. <laughs> So we are recording this week without Justin, but next week we will not be recording ep- an episode uh, during the week of Cloud Next. We're all off busy doing things. And uh, when we get back, we'll cover that week's news in addition to the following week's news, which by the time you get this will be last week's news next week. Whatever. Yesterday's tomorrow. Whatever. <laughs> Moving on. It's like time travel in the movies. You just don't think about it too hard. And Yeah. <laughs> All right, starting off with AWS, Amazon File Cache, a high-performance cache on AWS for your on-premise file systems. Imagine moving a large data set to the cloud to reduce processing time, but you are not ready to move the data set yet. Amazon File Cache is a new high-speed cache service designed for processing file data stored in disparate locations. It provides access to files using a fast and familiar POSIX interface. That means you can mount it as a, uh, as a block device. Mm. On, your, on your Linux or potentially Windows machines. File Cache helps to address use cases where you have a large data set on Amazon S3 spread across multiple regions. It creates a file system-based cache in front of either NFS, V3, or uh, S3 buckets. Nice. So, I mean, the first thing I thought of is all those years trying to get um, big, multi, like, highly scaled WordPress sites <laughs> to... <laughs> access a shared file system, um, but have that in, in S3 when it's read-only. It looks like, I guess, tons of data processing uh, workloads are going to, people potentially would use this. Yeah, I guess, especially for you know machine learning work workloads where you've got lots of data on site and you've got some in S3, it's expensive to move around, but you still want to do something with it or present it in a single um, sort of logical layer to whatever it is that's consuming that data. This will be, this will be great. Pretty much read-only, though, because there's no consistency, right? There's no, is it right through, or is it just read? Pretty much read-only cache. I imagine it's mostly for read. And, you know, when I think about, you know, all the different times that, you know, setting up the, the S3 fuse to mount S3 as a file system and dealing with the performance there, you're just really, you know, maybe it's writing to S3, but that's typically not your challenge because you can do that asynchronously. Um, it's usually trying to access that data, reading that data as part of the file system. And since this works on any NFS file system, right, you know, it's cool that it will work on premise, but, you know, this is, you know, this will allow you to put together, you know, EFS and FSX and, and S3, um, which you may be taking advantages of for different reasons, right, of your application and managing the data probably at cost. So, like, that, it, I think that's the real advantage is that you can sort of have your data and pay for it as it's accessed, but then also unify the access to that for an application. And NFS file systems could be on-prem? Yes. Probably. Yeah, Yeah, they can. Yeah. The, the blog post mentioned that the, the cache can either be um, lazy-loaded on-demand or you can actually 
preload the thing, pre-warm the thing. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, which nice. which was neat. Um, that is cool. It's cool they give you an option, right? Because I I would I was just assuming lazy loaded, but does it? So th- would this replace um, uh, the storage storage gateway? Gateway storage gateway. Yeah, I guess it's like that, but it adds extra functionality in that you can mm-hmm. map other other file systems behind that too. And like maybe it works. Yeah. Also. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard very many you know win win cases for storage gateway. Man, no, mostly it. just writes, right? Right, transfer of data into S3. That's usually when I hear storage gateway come into play. Well, it's yeah. two ways. One, one way is that, but the other would be to cache locally. But man, that cache had to be refreshed so often. Um, and I imagine that since this one is a cache, it's probably going to do that really, really well, which would be a great addition because there's so many cool use cases uh, for that where I, I just, I know that I want all my stuff in the cloud because I want to back it up, I want to archive it, I want to meet compliance requirements, but darn it, I still need file system access to it and I need it from my on-prem systems uh, without dragging everything back from the cloud every time I want to run a uh, run a report or something. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's a notable lack of support for, um, for SMB with this service, which really is where the pain points were for storage gateway and file locking and things like that. So it's probably a good pivot. Yeah. All right, moving on. Amazon Workspaces introduces Ubuntu desktops. According to Hacker Earth 2020 developer survey, uh, Ubuntu is the most widely used operating system among professional developers. Uh, starting today, you can also provision Ubuntu desktops for developers, engineers, or data scientists in Amazon Workspaces. Uh, this gives your, uh, your users a familiar and compatible environment optimized for cloud development with pre-installed tooling such as the AWS CLI and SDK. Um, there are several benefits to providing virtual cloud desktops to your technical workforce, including the security of the files on, on uh, cloud-based volumes within the perimeter of your AWS account and the ease of provisioning at scale. Ubuntu workspace pricing is either per month or per hour, depending on how often users need to use it. Yeah, so I, Linux users rejoice. You know, now there's a managed, managed ecosystem for you too. Yeah, this is the one thing that, you know, I, I've got a Mac... And it's like, can I get away with a Chromebook? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out, can I get away with a Chromebook? And then it's like the the few times I got to use development tools, uh, I want to be able to install stuff on the machine and having an easy, on-demand, managed Linux environment like this, I think might be the thing that would allow me to go to a Chromebook. I don't, I'm not going to, mostly because two weeks before they made this announcement, I bought a a new Mac Air, <laughs> MacBook Air, so I'm sort of stuck with it for the next few years. Yeah, get my money's worth, but uh, th- this might have been the dis- like the uh, the straw that got me to go to uh, or the killer app or whatever that allowed me to go to uh, Chromebook. Yeah, I mean, as network connectivity becomes more ubiquitous, you know, even over you know in remote areas over in five G and that kind of thing, like the the ability to have things locally is just becoming less and less of a requirement. So, and then, you know, for an IT organization, you know, who wants to manage, you know, thousands of MacBook Airs or, or, you know, Windows machines, if they can, they can have this virtually spin up and down and only pay for when they're in use. And, you know, especially if you have a large development staff that may be overseas or, or transitional, like this is way easier or you just yeah you just don't want to worry about your data being out there on the end device. So this makes it so much easier for developers to be like, I don't have to worry about uh, my endpoint being 
you know, obviously still got to encrypt your hard drive and everything, but mm-hmm. not having to think about all the complexities of that, especially when you go to compliance audits, I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not only that, but also the cost of moving data sets around, especially I mean, the, the, the big use case for this is, is um, machine learning and, and data science. Some of the, some of the you know, machine early models that you move around are tens of gigabytes or, or, or larger in size. And if, if you're constantly tweaking things and pushing things back and forth to S3, then that, that cost is going to rack up. Mm-hmm. So keeping, this, keeping the data inside the account, I think, is probably uh, an underrated uh, benefit to this. Yeah, I should yeah. be more... I should be more uh thoughtful of data scientists. I'm, they're usually not at the top of my mind, but I should be. They're becoming I mean, more and more important. <laughs> SageMaker supporting like a Jupyter Notebook service, you know, s- serves a lot of that that as well. But I mean, it's 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 definitely something that, you know, people are starting to be more cognizant of as data sets get larger, right? You know, it didn't matter when, when things were smaller. Now it's more and more because you're we're generating more and more data every day. Yeah, no longer. We should take it as a challenge. Remember that there was a, um, like back in like, I don't know if it was the 90s, where they tried to do these experiments with people that were going to go into space and they're like, you can't use paper. You have to do everything without paper. Uh, we should do that with uh, with these, see if we can get away with Chromebooks now in our day-to-day lives and see what we're at, what we're missing. If we have a Chromebook plus an Ubuntu desktop in the mm-hmm. cloud. Yeah, I mean, Justin's been on a, a quest for quite a while to do his job solely from uh, an iPad. And I think that while I couldn't do that because of the the form factor of the screen and, and tapping, just can't deal. But yeah, Chromebook would definitely be a possibility. And, um, you know, when I think about, you know, the backing up, you know, I've, how many computers have I dropped off the back of a motorcycle and just completely ruined and, um, you yeah. know, or that kind of thing, right? Like it's, you know, VDIs weren't the coolest thing forever, but now, you know, it's making it a, pr- a real practical option. Yeah, they become disposable, man. $400 disposable thing mm-hmm. you don't worry as much about. Yeah. Well, they're, they are disposable, but on the, on the same on the same line, they're also potentially have a longer lifetime before you need to replace them. You know, as technology changes, yeah. somebody else has to upgrade their servers and maybe they get repurposed to, to do other things, you know, like cloud functions or lambdas and things which don't require massive compute as, as technology changes. But you can keep that laptop around for 10 years now instead of three years and, and have it still be perfectly functional. I hadn't thought of that, yeah, because, you know, it's basically the requirements of the browser. So hardware-wise, as long as you can future-proof that a little bit, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. Although with Chrome, you always need more, more memory. Yeah, so. you just need more memory. <laughs> Stall memory. All right, we'll move on to GCP. Um, introducing support. Forgot one. You forgot one. Oh, I forgot one? Oh, you really want to do the Workspace's core thing, huh? I did. I wrote ah. notes and everything. Look, I did. Ah. Fine, We're already right. talking about the benefits of, you know, a fully managed virtual desktop, you know, <laughs> ecosystem. And so Amazon's released a new Workspace's core, which is a fully managed infrastructure for, to host your VDI service. And it combines the security, global reliability, and cost efficiency of AWS with your existing VDI management solutions. Many companies use VDI farms to provide secure access, like we said, to internal environments, and, and it allows just the management of IT orgs, you know, they can manage all the software on it all in one spot, including the corporate spyware that they use to make sure that yeah. you're working. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so help me understand, do I still like buy my Citrix or mm-hmm. whatever it is, licenses on my own, and this is a, or is it, they can have different flavors, and I just spin it up. 
So the the press release was pretty limited, but there are a number of partners that they're integrating with, right? Citrix was not one of them. Um, as I imagine, this is a huge competition for Citrix and, and HP who are definitely trying to manage this for you, including the infrastructure. So this is more, uh, you know, this is more providing a competitive service to those. Um, and I think the big difference in, you know, not using those, I, I can't really say, but the, it's being able to elastically provision these environments is the real advantage that I see for me. And so an HP solution is always going to be in sites that you run, to my knowledge. I don't believe that they host. It's just a, sort of a packaged hardware that they give you. And then Citrix um, is a you know a service where you are sort of bound to wherever they're currently deployed and and whatever network access they you know rely on. And so this is the the biggest difference is just being able to leverage AWS to host that in a, an elastic capacity fashion, typical of cloud. Which I think is the big advantage. But do I host it or does Citrix host it? So Citrix gives you the option, right? Like you can do both on Citrix. But I buy it through Citrix. You can host it yourself and run Citrix application, or you can you can pay for a service for Citrix. This is just the infrastructure, the management of that. Okay, but so I pay Amazon. You pay Amazon, um, and if you are currently let, let's say Citrix is a partner or will be one day, you would also pay Citrix, right, for that that the the application level, right? So there's, it, think about it just like workspaces, like the Ubuntu le- desktop, that's the service aspect of the VDI. And then there's the underlying infrastructure of that VDI. Right. And this is just a, a, a package service to sort of manage that underlying infrastructure that allows you, and it'll allow you to you know, integrate with your on-premise VDI farms as you migrate into AWS, I'm sure is the intention. Yeah, that makes migration so much easier. That gets rid of a ton of friction. Cool. So really, it's just the missing management layer of, of uh, the existing workspace service that gives mm-hmm. you hybrid connectivity and, and, and uh, visibility into both sets of VDIs. Yep. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. May I move we on to GCP? Prospect. No. Yeah, we had a prospect just ask for basically <laughs> us to install, I think it was Horizons, oh, Horizon on uh, EC2. How much better would this be? Mm-hmm. Horizon is part of the OpenStack ecosystem. Is that Horizon? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I mean, it's it is you know like it's a you know it, it's one of those things it's where VMware isn't it? Oh, probably. Yeah, VMware. It's VMware. VMware. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is just it's you know the there's different advantages and you know I think the being able to leverage the global distribution of of AWS ecosystems like would be a benefit to a lot of companies. I, I know I've faced the challenge where, you know, we've acquired a new company or we, we have a, a temporary workforce in, you know, based out of India, but they're having to connect to our VDI farm and our data center and having like just wanting to poke their eyes out because of the the network latency that right. they experience while trying to yeah. do just a trivial task. Um, you know, now companies could leverage, like say they, they integrate with Amazon, spin up a local VDI region within minutes and that, and their, that network latency, depending on what they have to access, you know, has largely just gone away and then they're still managing it centrally, just like they would any other VDI environment. So this is, you know, cool. Yeah. So not necessarily migration, but just extending your existing Mm -hmm. infrastructure. That's cool. I mean, I imagine the business play for Amazon is like, and then how easy would it be to not manage yeah, any exactly. of it? Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that should be their goal if they're yeah. taking care of their shareholders like they're supposed to. 
Okay, now you may move on. Thank you. Moving on to GCP. (laughs) (laughs) Never was I so excited to talk about Autopilot, which is a fully managed (laughs) mode of operation for the Google Kubernetes engine. Um, Autopilot now supports the NVIDIA T4 and A100 GPUs, so you can run AI, ML training, and inference workloads on Autopilot. Autopilot takes care of the GPU configuration and pod placement for you. Uh, you're only charged for the time running on your pod, not for setup or teardown of those underlying resources. And um, Autopilot will provision a GPU-enabled node matching your requirements, including all the drivers necessary to support uh, the, uh, the task at hand. Unfortunately, there's a minimum, sorry, there's a maximum pod size of 222 vCPUs, which sounds enormous, mm-hmm. and 851 of gig, which is less enormous, with the balanced compute class. Yeah. I imagine those limitations come into play with, you know, larger machine learning data sets and, and different things there. I mean, I, it boggles my mind, you know, to think about that, but... Um, the size and speed of this of GPUs and how rapidly that's advanced makes me think that there's enough enough of an ask in data sets <laughs> for this to be a problem. I think with the the enormous takeoff in the last few months of um, AI generated artwork, a lot of people are using Google Colab to to run things for free. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they they need to run sort of commercial workloads as well. So this is this is a great just in time move. I think. So when are they going to rename GPUs? Because they're not doing graphics processing anymore. Not so much, oh, right? I think it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, ah, nah. You know, like, we're just going to It's be like every... I'm trying to think of another example where we're just like to totally have turned left and the name doesn't really reference what it's supposed to reference anymore. I'm sure it we're just is. stuck. We're stuck yeah. with GPUs. Yeah. Well, I think to some extent they're also referred to as tensor TPUs, tensor processing units, because of the the math that they're very good at doing. But yeah, I think I don't think Nvidia will ever move away from the GPU, the, um, GPU. the sort of brand, because they just get such a good reputation from the fact that these massive workloads are running on uh, you know commercial cards that you can buy for a five or six hundred dollars at Best Buy. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been playing with um, Stable Diffusion, which I know Ryan and Justin didn't. <laughs> recognize when I've mentioned it in Slack, but it's a it's a text to image engine, and uh, you know clone clone the repo, install Anaconda, set up a Python environment, and download a you know, a four gig model, and you can pass in strings of text and have it draw absolutely or render not draw absolutely fantastic images and uh, oh, wow. from um, from just from text descriptions. It's just mind blowing, and to think that it's you know it's it's running on a graphics card and it might take. 12 or 13 seconds to generate an enormously detailed image, you know, the, the kind of thing you might see in National Geographic. And it's, it's really funny because to, to get good images, you can literally put in the description award-winning or uh, <laughs> like a, you, you, you say the kind of image you want, literally the best the description you put in, you say award-winning, it will it will make it look more like an, uh, an image that has previously won an award and it's been oh tagged as God, such in, in, a, in a machine wow. learning model. But um, I'll, I'll post, post some of the examples that I've rendered in, in um, Slack for you to take a look at, but it's super impressive. Right. And the fact that it just runs on a GPU is just mind-blowing. Wow. Well, I've got a GPU now, an NVIDIA GPU, but I'm using it for graphics processing. Right. But it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good amazing. Good Lord intended. Yeah. That thing is cranking out rendering mod- physics models from sim racing on... Triple monitors at 2K each, 
um, at 200 frames per second. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, in comparison, if you if you run Stable Diffusion on a CPU instead of a GPU, it takes about 30 minutes to do something that the GPU takes 12 seconds to do. Wow. That comparison is pretty powerful, right? There. Yeah, and this and this, really is, this is not just you know like a, you know a 150 megahertz Pentium chip from you know from, right. from back in the day. It's like top of the line AMD 32 32 threads, that kind of thing. It's uh, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's awesome. It is. All right, introducing Workforce Identity Federation to easily manage workforce access to Google Cloud. Managing identities and authorization is a core security control that underpins interactions inside and collaboration outside your organization. Uh, to address fraud, identity theft, and other challenges, many organizations use centralized, a centralized identity provider, or IDP, and Workforce Identity Federation allows you um, to rapidly onboard users, user identities from external management solutions such as ForgeRock, Okta, JumpCloud, Ping Identity, etc., and provides uh, direct secure access to Google Cloud services and resources. Yeah, it's one of those services that I'm, I'm I could have sworn they had already, but I guess, <laughs> like, I mean, maybe I'm trying to think of like integration with G Suite. Maybe I got some of that confusion. Weren't we just, yeah, couldn't we able to just do it before with like SAML, maybe? Yeah, and and SAML is just the the protocol that translates from the IDP. So I'm, I'm I wonder what the meat is behind this service, and, and exactly like maybe it's you know because that integration can be kind of hefty and does require you know some very subject matter experts personnel to set up and answer you know some pretty complicated things and then keep it up to date, which is always sort of a challenge too. Like you know if you point it at your Microsoft AD or Okta. You have to make sure that you know oh. it's kept up to date, right? I, I get the feeling that so, the, the sort of the the multiple tenancy in a way is is probably the the selling point here. That as you acquire new companies or as you bring on new partners, dynamically it's easier to integrate with those IDPs. Whereas previously, oh, we've got it all wrong. Whereas previously, I've, it's I've, uh, it's been pretty difficult to to have multiple sources of identity. I guess it sort of abstracts those and provides a single layer to the the Google. Um, identity service. And I think the I've way got we've this done all it. wrong. Yeah, yeah, this is no. This is literally using SAML integration and SSO to log into Google Cloud or log into resources. So this is not logging into Google Cloud necessarily, but using your SSO provider of choice to access Google Cloud, which makes a lot more sense to me now. Right. I think we used to do it. I think they used to use uh, directory synchronization. Right, and now it's federation. Yeah, and I think that directory integration had something to do with G Suite too. I don't think that you. I think there were caveats to when you could use that and not, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of information security teams were very averse to to um, synchronizing directories because it required transporting encrypted or hashed yeah. uh, passwords. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is quite a uh, quite a threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was really tough. Not just because, you know, if you do it right, it's going to be just as secure. But um, it was really tough to get uh, through compliance audits, I believe. It made compliance audits a lot more complex. Yeah, I know I've had to implement like silly restrictions, like, you know, IP restrictions or, or stuff like that in order to meet compliance needs, right? Like because we weren't using that central source of identity and, and able to sort of evidence, you know, the access list in the same way of others. And so we had to put like a, a broader overall control 
that, you know, really all it did was make it easier to understand, <laughs> you know, because it was a blunt hammer. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, so this is, yeah, okay, this makes more sense now to me, like why, why this is important. That's cool. Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Falcon Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. All right, moving on to Azure. Not many stories this week. Mm -mm. Uh, strengthen your security with policy analytics for Azure Firewall. I was kind of negative about this when I first read the headline, but actually read what it does, and it's actually mm -hmm. quite, quite important. Um, network security policies are constantly evolving to keep pace with the demands of workloads. Over time, the Azure Firewall network and application rules can become suboptimal. Sounds like an Azure problem, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> Impacting the firewall performance and security. Uh, policy analytics for Azure Firewall helps IT teams manage firewall rules over time and provides critical insights and recommendations for strengthening your security posture by providing visibility into traffic flowing through the firewall. Uh, it also provides flow logs, rule analytics, and policy insights panel and single rule analysis. Policy analytics lets you analyze rules by picking a rule of interest and services recommendations based on actual traffic flows. Presumably, this means you can move the heavy, hit, heavy hitting rules to the top of the top of the list and the less hit rules to the bottom of the list mm -hmm. to sort of optimize that, those flows a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. And different rules come with different impacts to performance and latency, right? Like that's that's always the, you know, when trying to put a WAF or, or firewall in line with application performance, um, you know, it's it's typically the argument is trying to do that analysis and it's not always easy. So I'm sure this helps out there, which is cool. Like so you're it. saying if I have a really complex rule that is rarely ever used, I shouldn't put that right at the top? That's right. Right. That, okay. Just want to make sure I, yeah. I know what <laughs> lessons to take from this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it also hopefully will provide like an ROI metric for, for security orgs too, like so that they can sort of tune these over time just because I, I feel like a lot of firewall rules are put in place in sort of a CYA or, or very broad you know, broad area of defense and depth. And, you know, these types of things, you know, highlights, you know, the risk score and, you know, how many things it's actually stopping for, for better or for worse, right? This may educate that this isn't needed or it might be like, oh, thank God we had that. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah, but think about it. I mean, I've worked in lots of businesses where um, it's been geo-restricted, heavily geo-restricted, whether it's healthcare or finance. And you can move all those all those denies for the geo-restricted IPs way to the bottom of the list because you don't care if they get slow denies, mm -hmm. but you do care if your 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 paying customers that you want to serve get um, performant queries yeah. when, when they hit the service. Yeah, exactly. 
I also believe in today's global market that, you know, geo restriction is, is sort of an arcane, outdated enforcement, but, you know, and, and it should be, you know, an anomalous alert that's, you know, triaged that way because you do want to notify on it and, and make sure that traffic's valid, but, you know, that's just uh, yeah. progress. Yeah. Oh, we have a couple of short updates from Azure. The first is their cost management update from September. Microsoft cost management helps you better understand where you're accruing costs in the cloud, um, identify and prevent bad spending patterns, and optimize costs to empower you to do more with less. Uh, the Azure mobile app, which is really the focus of the announcement, now lets you track your budgets on the go. Woo-hoo. Oh, Oh, man. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, Microsoft are about to implement a significant set of changes to their outsourcing and hosting terms. Or in fact, they already have a couple of days ago. I lied. That was this press release is a week old. Um, the changes will enable customers to use partners' clouds, uh, leverage shared hardware, um, meaning uh, vCPU-based uh, licensing instead of physical core-based licensing, and have more flexibility in deployment options for their software licenses. So for a change, CFOs might be getting a pleasant notification from their mobile devices while on their Disney cruise. Looking at you, Justin. Justin wishes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Pleasant notification. No chance. I'm sure he's off. turned it his phone way off and buried it in a drawer somewhere. If not, just toss it over the side. But, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's. And the bills only go up. It allows you to track your budgets. When have you ever gotten a positive notification regarding a budget? Never once. Oh, there's a surplus. Yeah. Well, even if there's not a surplus, it's we didn't spend our budget. Quick, what can we spend our money on? We're losing for next year otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And spoiler alert, in in terms of finding patterns in your cost management, it's compute. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) Or provision. Or provision (laughs) diops. Yeah, Yeah, provision diops. That's true. Yeah. Pie ops. Uh, next up, general availability announcement. Azure SQL Database Hyperscale Reverse Migration is now available back to the general purpose tier. So from the Department of Azure Cloud Regrets, if you previously migrated <laughs> your SQL Database to the Hyperscale tier, you can now reverse that migration and move back to the general purpose tier. Yeah. So this uh, enables additional mobility for your SQL data. Once you've moved back from the Hyperscale tier, you can move um, on the general tier or you can move to some of the other vCore-based tiers. So I read. That's nice. This is very expensive. <laughs> yeah. It was really hard to revert. <laughs> yep, you do. Lose. And they should have known better because it's not named premium. It is not <laughs> unpremium. <laughs> unpremium. <laughs> Unsequel boxed. Yeah. Um, apparently, there are some um, caveats to migrating back from the hyperscale versus um, the, the general tier. But uh, I, I think if you're moving back, you probably didn't need those anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an interesting announcement that makes me want to know the details, and then, but there's I know better than actually go look at those details because it would just be nightmare fuel, I'm sure, and poor some poor you know customer had to do some terrible things to their data, I'm sure, to either address the cost or maybe they're just eating it. But this is a, a hard level to make changes at, and this this feels uh, like a burning customer need addressed yeah it sounds like it sounds like a uh a, a customer um, a customer services person or, or a customer account manager as your account manager said hey you know why don't you just move to the, the hyperscale here you, yeah mm-hmm. just <laughs> performance mm-hmm. problems just move to this and then the bill comes in it's 10 times the price and yeah 
and there's no way to move back. And it's like, and then if you're that customer, you're like, well, it's just as hard for me to reduce this bill as it is to migrate off of your cloud. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, now you mention it. Yeah. All right, generally available Azure Functions.NET Framework support in the isolated work model. No, it doesn't have COVID, but now you can build production <laughs> services, serverless apps with Azure, func Azure Functions v4 in the isolated worker model with .NET Framework 4.8. This allows apps with um, .NET Framework dependencies uh, to take advantage of the latest versions of uh, Azure Functions. If you're on .NET Framework v1, I swear you've been for the past 20 years. But second, <laughs> it is recommended to migrate to .NET 6 or 7 before uh, starting to use Azure, uh, the, uh, uh, how's it called? Azure Functions v4. <laughs> Lost my place. <laughs> I think we're doing well. This is like the third time with that, Justin. A lot yeah, yeah. better this time than before. Yeah. Killing it. <laughs> Progress. Killing it. Apps built using this capability will follow the same patterns as any isolated .NET worker project in functions, but they will specify .NET Framework 4.8 as the target framework. Yeah, so are they, they're isolated, but are they six feet apart? You know, I don't think a function should run on the same server that's six feet next to the other server. So they're, they're uh, you know, their rack, rack model better support that. <laughs> you see that bar during COVID that... Uh... When they got the, some city released a six foot rule, and so they put everyone in huge um, bumper like uh, cages, like the hamster they balls around in. type thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, except they were just yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they just let people hang out in the bar. Unfortunately, later we found out it was uh, aerosolized, but oh well. Yeah. It was a good try. Yeah, there is no bounds to human creativity. Mm -mm. Especially when it comes to drinking. Drinking. <laughs> and we do have one Oracle story, which you only mentioned for comedic value this week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's our final story. I'm not sure if we're approaching April Fool's Day or Halloween this year, but Oracle would like to make sure that you remember that their annual conference is happening this October. Yay! Cue the applause. <laughs> Cue the canned laughter because nobody else yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. After years of discontinued in-person events, Oracle are excited to see you at Oracle Cloud World from October the 17th to 20th, uh, 2022 in Vegas with safety precautions in place. I'm quite sure what safety precautions they have in place. Uh, is, there a, is there such a thing as like a credit card condom that stops you spending money with Oracle Cloud? I don't know. But <laughs> I bet it's tick the box that says that you that you don't have any symptoms for COVID that, and that you've that would be my taken guest. a rapid test before you showed up at the event. Mm -hmm. I know the box on the website so it redirects you straight to the Nevada um, health response, which is yeah. like, if you've recently had a fever, don't leave your house. Right. Awesome. Yeah. If you care for such things, the Oracle blog post would like to tell you all about the power-packed agenda, the inspiring leadership and dynamic content, but we're going to save our breath here and not, not do that. Although if you do sign up, um, there is the Oracle Cloud World Hub, which does sound like an Addicts Anonymous club, but it's a lab where you can discover and familiarize yourself with OCI services in a new way. This high-touch activity is the place to get your questions answered by the Oracle Cloud community. You can, milk, you can meet with uh, expert architects to deep dive into the challenges and opportunities of your deployments. I guess that's hosted in one of the many bars in Vegas and get real-time help designing architectures for your Oracle Cloud workloads. You've kind of intrigued me. I kind of want to go to this now. Mm -hmm. I just want to see what it's all about. It might be fun. 
let me know. Mm-hmm. I know. I, there's no way I can go to Vegas on October 17th. But you just I make it a monthly it. thing. Just, you know, Vegas, you know, October, Vegas, yeah. November, you know. Vegas for Christmas. Why not? Not happening. <laughs> Wish I could, though. I actually really do. I kind of want to see that. I kind of just want to see what it is. Who goes, what they're talking about. It would be it would be telling, right? Because we I don't know anyone firsthand that runs any workloads on on Oracle. And really the only press release I remember is when Zoom adopted them yeah. for their networking. And you never heard anything after that, right? It was clearly just a press release of like, hey, we're a real cloud too. Um but yeah, you don't you know, we've since we've fixed the glitch in our RSS feed, you know, you don't hear a lot of managed services and you hear very compute heavy and infrastructure heavy sort of announcements and, and announcements that you would expect if you're still running things like you would in your own data center, but paying Oracle to do that instead. Right, true. That is the end of Cloud News for this week. So take us to the lightning round. All right. I have a prediction. Justin's not going to win this week. (laughs) We have a short and sweet lightning round, so get your hits in quick. Only five articles. Let's start with AWS Service Catalog Console made improvements on their usability. I call shenanigans. You can't make a service catalog usable? (laughs) That's the whole point, right? Yeah. <laughs> if they don't use it, we don't have to pay for it. What's really funny is that the announcement, if you read through it, it's just exposing the errors directly to the users. <laughs> so the usability is like, oh, instead of this terrible like error message, well, we've tabletized, tablified the error message so it's easier to read. Nice. <laughs> I don't like service catalogs. They're terrible. Yes. Yes, they are. I like the idea a ton. I just haven't mm-hmm. seen the implementation happen yet. Yeah, I would agree. AWS announces updated support plans console with new IAM controls. So I'm going to have to open a support case to uh, allow access to my console because I don't understand how IAM works. And there's nothing more complicated than IAM. But I won't know which plan I'm on because I'll, I won't have access to my support console. It's not going to go well. Somebody click the button to upgrade to enterprise support. Yeah, really. Just <laughs> so much easier. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we have any support in this account? Click $50,000 later. (laughs) Where did you put the combination to the safe? You told me to put it in a safe place. I put it in a safe. Still no support for limiting the the types of tickets that people can open though. You still can't can't restrict. This is all about changing the the level of the support plan, not the actual usability of of the support system in general. So we can still have everybody opening high, highly critical tickets. They didn't announce that the updated support plans console was more usable. They did nope. not. You're true. No. They did not. It's less usable, in fact, with these policies. Less usable. They're literally less, less usable <laughs> by design. Yeah. All right. AWS Systems Manager adds CloudWatch alarms to control tasks. So, I mean, I can't see what's going to go wrong with this. Like, you know, if clearly reformat all the hard drives and RF minus, you know, RM minus RF should be triggered on any any alarm. So let's just run that in Systems Manager. Fantastic. My favorite. Remove the French. I love it. I got nothing with that. <laughs> I'm mentally exhausted from, from the rest of it, so. <laughs> you did a good job. All right. Bottle Rocket is now supported by Amazon Inspector. 
I'm confused by this because Bottle Rocket is the intentionally lightweight OS to run containers. And then what are we inspecting exactly? Like, hopefully nothing. <laughs> hopefully nothing is correct. <laughs> Maybe that's just a verification. Yeah. Yes. Nothing to see here. It's like, how did you end up with, yeah. What, yeah. Inspector or magician? Inspectors, the, uh, the the scanning service for, for images, right, for container workloads. So presumably, it's just a, just now integrated with, uh, you know, scanning the containers, uh, all the VMs, the, the micro VMs at runtime is now supported by Inspector on that service, which is actually actually kind of cool. Oh, if it's actually running, if it's actually inspecting the actual containers, but I I don't think it would be. I think it's just the OS. You never know. I don't know. I don't know. Should read don't the uh, should read the things. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I didn't read it. Didn't Which do the actually, homework. That's kind of the fun. Yeah. The dog ate my bottle rocket, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority is now renamed just AWS Private Certificate Authority. Thank you. Like, yeah, this is, yeah, I'm Justin left a little note, like, let's hope this starts a trend, which is absolutely true. Some of the naming naming conventions lately have been awful. And so I'm really happy to see the simplicity of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, agreed. All right, this is a tough, this is it. All five. That is it. <laughs> yeah. We're all done. We're all done. I got to give it, you know, I, I, I want to give it to Jonathan because he did such a good job of putting the notes together and he <laughs> led the whole, the whole our mission today. But this is the first time I think I've ever heard Ryan talk about every single one. I have to reward that. Sorry, Jonathan. That's fine. <laughs> but Jonathan, what I can promise you since uh, I know Justin's not going to listen to this is that next time I think Jonathan won, I'm, I'm sorry, next time I think uh, Justin won, I'm just going to give it to you. <laughs> I just have to make sure I speak at least once in that case. Yeah, just, exactly. Just, yeah, yeah. just, just yeah. wink at me on the camera and I'll, uh, yeah. I'll remember. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just edit you in. Yeah, really. Yeah, edit yourself in later, you won. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't paid uh, editor Elliot to, uh, to to make any changes like that recently, but I'm sure he's I'm sure he's viable. Everyone's got their price. Yeah. Uh -huh. Everyone's got a price. All right, and that is the week in cloud. We would like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting. Check out the website. You're Check welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Check out our website, the home of the CloudPod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag at, sorry, hash the CloudPod. I've only heard that 185 times and I still didn't get it. Still, right. yeah. No. Can't wait for 200. Yeah. See you later, guys. Oh, yeah. Good night. And that is the Weekend Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm -hmm.